Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... I'm gonna make him a movie he can't refuse. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 23 of Working Title, a podcast where we review the top 250 English language movies. And today we're talking about uh, a very particular, very English language movie, The King's Speech. Um, The 2010 movie starring Colin Firth and uh, Jeffrey Rush, directed by Tom Hooper, uh, about King George VI overcoming a stammer. Um, <laughs> Real royalty problems. You're not wrong. Um, yeah, so I think we're all going to have lots to say about this. I think um, this might be an interesting one to discuss. But before we do that, let's introduce the reviewers in the room. As a prompt, if you could recast one character in this movie with any other actor or actress, uh, who would you recast and who would you give the role to, Shane? So I I thought long and hard about this, and I would recast Colin Firth with Tommy Wiseau so that I could really see a speech therapist try their damnedest and fail. (laughs) See, I was going to recast Jeffrey Rush with Tommy Wiseau. (laughs) (laughs) Lilo, you're tearing me apart. <laughs> I don't know how to speech. That's insane. The brother should be Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> All right, June. I'm June. Hello. And my recast would be, I would replace Colin Firth with George W. Bush. <laughs> 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 oh. oh fuck comes time when you have to stand up <laughs> oh that's the sequel to president's speech <laughs> oh my god the mirrors it really is a lot very similar <laughs> alright Mike no, I'm not following that. <laughs> <laughs> I would, uh, I'll go next. I'm Jack. Uh, I would recast Colin Firth as Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> I, I appreciate the pity laugh. <laughs> Motherfucker, is this a you speech? Know I imagined it. I chuckled. <laughs> All right, I, I would replace him with Chunk. What? See, that's why I couldn't follow it. This is why we shouldn't have had June go. <laughs> Who is Chunk? <laughs> Who the fuck Chunk. Is Chunk from the Goonies. Hey, you guys! <laughs> Sloth. <laughs> what? What? His name is Chunk. <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk about this movie. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so, um, oh, the fact his name was Chunk. <clears throat> Please go on. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> All right, so uh, the King's Speech, uh, 2010 film, uh, kind of a biopic, uh, kind of a heartwarming film, 
directed by this guy named Tom Hopper, who is um, kind of known for adaptations of plays. Uh, so The King's Speech actually, I believe, um, was adapted uh, for the theater before it was adapted as a film. I don't think it's quite right to call it like a film adaptation of a play but it was brought to this stage first. Um, so yeah, Tom Hopper, you may recognize him from um, other films like uh, Les Miserables, uh, which he directed shortly after The King's Speech. Oh, that uh, son of a bitch. Yeah. Oh, that's him. He's the guy that ruined Les Mis. <laughs> oh, you think he's the guy who ruined Les Mis? He's also the guy that ruined Cats. No. Oh, Jesus. Stop. <laughs> Yeah, so he's been on a, a real downhill slide from this. Um, has the butthole cut of Cats been released yet? <laughs> Where's the butthole cut of the King's Speech? <laughs> I know, that's what I'm looking for. Um, yeah, and the King's Speech has um, pretty uh, pretty good cast. Uh, practically a, a Harry Potter reunion with uh, Stumbledore and uh, Helena Bonham Carter kind of uh as well as the guy one of the, the other guys from harry potter so this this thread's going nowhere um but yeah colin firth jeffrey rush colin firth has been in everything that is british and jeffrey rush was in pirates of the caribbean yeah definitely a pretty good cast um and like we mentioned it's about the king of england right before world war ii having to overcome a uh, speech impediment uh pretty significant stammer yeah, uh, I guess before we go too much further, Mike, do you want to kind of walk us through the plot? Yeah, at the beginning, it, it starts with the, uh, it's the end of the uh, British Empire Expe- Exhibition, and um, Prince Albert is giving the closing speech to the exhibition. Hey, I've heard of a Prince Albert. <laughs> Different Prince Albert. Silence your phones, please. This is a fucking movie podcast. <laughs> let's, all right. let's, all, let's all be professional. <laughs> Do go on, Mike. All right. So during the speech, uh, it is apparent that Albert has a um, not just a stammer, but a fear of public speaking, and he botches it pretty bad. Um, goes into his story about how he's been trying to find a cure for this for many years, him and his wife, Elizabeth, and he's come to the very you know edge of his rope. He can't do it anymore, and he's kind of given up. Uh, however, his wife, Elizabeth, continues to look for more um, doctors and therapists to kind of help with his speech impediment. And she goes, without his knowledge, to visit a man named Lionel, <clears throat> who is a um, a man from Australia. He's also a speech therapist. And she sets up a meeting with him to uh, bring her husband, um, Albert, to meet with Lionel to see if Lionel can help with Albert's speech impediment. Is this where we talk? Yes. Sounds about right. Yep. <laughs> so, I really like seeing Helena Bonham Carter play a normal person. Yes. I know, she's got range. Yeah. She's like a legit actress. That shit's normal. Um, she didn't practice any witchcraft. In this. What have we seen her in so far? I think it's the only movie Helena Bonham Carter has been in in our list so far, uh, Big Fish. Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. Unless she was in um, Nightmare Before Christmas. No, she wasn't. I think that was one of our references in that. 
Well, yeah, nice to see her acting normally. And there's a pretty good little gag there um, between her and Lionel Logue when she was um, really co- being coy about the fact that he's uh, the prince, that he's the Duke of York. Yeah. Uh, I chuckled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's probably this, I would I would argue she might be the strongest character in this movie. I mean, obviously Colin Firth is pretty good, but like, I think, I don't know. I kind of lean towards her being the best part of this movie with her acting and her lines and everything. You uh, think so? Je- Jeffrey Rush had, had some gold in this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, but the, the script is set up for him to succeed. Like Lionel Logue, you're supposed to, you know, he's kind of that character everyone's going to like. But I think with what she was given, and she just tore it up with everything was it, was she it, had was it the script that was set up or like real life mm. i don't know lionel could have been a dick in real life we don't know <laughs> lionel could have been one, the one with the stammer and he just wrote the history <laughs> so so lionel is a, is a speech therapist insists on having his clients um kind of be at home with them and, and treat them like family so when when he does find out that her husband is the duke of york um, he still treats him like an equal instead of royalty, which is a big kind of conflict for um, for uh, Albert. When he first meets him, he, he's he's be called he's being called Bertie by Lionel, and it shows that uh, Albert really has his temper, and he, he keeps exploding. And every single time he explodes, he doesn't stutter anymore, he doesn't stammer anymore. So Lionel starts to kind of work with that a little bit and explore into his uh, his stammer and see if he can actually find a way to to get rid of it. And in their first meeting, it seems that it goes really poorly, but right before Albert frustrated, gets frustrated and leaves, um, Lionel has him wear some headphones and recite uh, Shakespeare as he's listening to classical music. Um, <clears throat> of course, Albert leaves without listening back to the track and Lionel gives him the, uh, the, I guess the recording that he made to take home with him. And he doesn't listen to it until a ways later where it gets into the story of Albert and how his family, he's the second of two sons and King George V is doing a Christmas broadcast and tells uh, Prince Albert that essentially his brother has been fucking around and he's going to be the guy who's going to have to step up and become the king one day. Yeah. And this is also on the cusp of like radio becoming a thing. Yeah. It seems to be like a big theme. Is it everybody fucking hates radio? (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so I guess just to carry it a little bit further, um, so after his father kind of lectures him about the importance of radio and tries to make him give a speech, you know, as if it were to the radio and he can't, he does listen to the the record that um, Lionel pressed for him, right? And mm-hmm. I just keep thinking, what a fucking gamble. Like this dude, <laughs> his entire pitch to treat the Duke of York, which would be, um, you know, both very lucrative and uh, very impactful for him. And his thing is like, all right, take this record home and listen to it. And I would 100% expect uh, Prince Albert to just chuck it out the window on his way out. Like, this is his, his big bet to actually make all of this happen. Seriously, why couldn't he just been like, wait, before you leave, here, listen to this. I know, I thought he was going to play it as he was walking out. 
and he'd like stop and turn. <laughs> yeah. And um, I have to wonder what he was thinking, like after he sends him back with this record, like just wondering if he'll actually listen to it. So he, when, he, when he was wearing the headphones and he um, read the Shakespeare, <clears throat> he had zero stammer during that. Why didn't they just do that for the rest of the film? Like every single time that he was going to be on radio, they just put headphones on him. God damn it. You broke the movie. I was thinking it was going to be like an Eminem situation where he's just like has his headphones on. He's like, oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. I got no snare. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good joke. Good jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So was was it implied that he had heard the recording prior to that scene? Because his reaction didn't really seem all that like surprised. Like Helena Bonham Carter... Or his wife walks in and she's like, holy shit, you know, my boy can talk. <laughs> but it seemed like he just kind of sat there as if he had heard it before. I just, I don't know if that was just. No, she wasn't surprised about he can talk. She was, she was actually um, <clears throat> terrified that he could talk because the reason she later in the movie says that she married Albert was because of his speech impediment, which meant that he would never be able to become royalty. And she was, that was like the thing that allowed her to marry royalty because she didn't want to be in the limelight and she said oh i married you because you're a beautiful speech impediment but lo and behold now he's king don't Um, know if that's quite what she meant but well she did say that i i'm not convinced it was like meant in earnest or if she meant it to just kind of comfort him and lighten the mood but um, i'm not supposed to take anything literal in this film all right, Mike. So the salt shaker is a metaphor. <laughs> that, that episode's, that episode's best. <laughs> Come up with a new way to razz me. Um, well, we'll get there. Um, yeah, I think uh, what I took away is he was maybe more just like shocked. It, what I got from his body language was, oh shit, who'd we lose? Uh, oh. It's just Shane. It's fine. It's just Shane. All right. Um, what I got from his body language was that he was like frustrated and giving up and kind of turned to the one option he had. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. What, what happens next? Should we just sit in silence until Shane comes back? Sure. All right. So what happens next? (laughs) (laughs) So next... King George the fifth uh, passes away, dies, and it's 1936 now, and uh, their eldest son David is now the new king, and David is David's a piece of work. Um, <laughs> he's he's the the son that nobody wants to have, and King David the first. He's got he's got issues, so he becomes uh, King Edward the eighth. Yeah, yeah the I eighth. think so, and. Um, he has a, a a addiction to married women, and not only that, but the woman he's chosen to um, marry is an American from Baltimore who is a prostitute in Shanghai, I think. And uh, there's no way that the the royal like you know um, monarch is gonna allow him to still be king and get married to this woman. Um, which then inevitably leads to Birdie becoming the next king, which is it jumps ahead a little bit from what happens in the plot, but that's about 
the most important things. There's a lot of drama. And Lionel, while teaching Birdie, starts to kind of push Birdie to become king or, or think about it at least. And they're, they have a falling out because Birdie says that Lionel's talking treason and he needs to support his brother. But, but then it turns out his brother kind of shoots himself in the back anyways or shoots himself in the foot as the term would go, um, <laughs> which then makes Birdie become king and he becomes King George the sixth. I just think it's funny, despite David's soon-to-be wife's, like, sordid past or whatever, like, the big issue is that she is going to get a divorce, and based off the rules of the Church of England, like, you can't marry... Divorce women. Some, yeah. Which is kind of funny, because the Church of England uh, spun out because Henry VIII wanted to right. get divorced. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You guys ever watched The Tudors? I had Tudors. No, not that kind of Tudors. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought most dangerous thing to America or to England was America once again? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking yeah. Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> so one one thing that also got my attention was, man, everyone is such assholes to common people. So everyone is saying all of this scandalous, salacious shit about uh, David's fiance, this woman, like saying like she had skills acquired in a brothel in Shanghai, which is I'm fairly confident not true. Just something they're saying because they can't stand the thought of, you know, David marrying not only a divorcee, but, you know, a common woman, which is. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I actually had some of that because like if that's true. I wonder what her life was like. Did she start in Baltimore and then go to Shanghai and start turning tricks? Or did she start? Because, like, what a jump. Was she a free agent or did she get traded? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty impressive to, like, travel the world, be a hooker in Shanghai, I feel like. Or was it impressive that she got out of Shanghai and moved to the proud city of Baltimore? You ever see this movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> I I hope to one day see it. You know, Shane, you know you can just, like, buy a plane ticket to Shanghai, right? <laughs> it's not like some this forbidden... This is 1925. <laughs> she would have had to ask one of the Wright brothers to fly her or something. <laughs> oh, you're laughing at your own jokes again, Shane. It's going to be one of those episodes. <sighs> I don't even want to touch that. <laughs> Let's not. Um, God, there was something smart I was going to say, but it's just gone now. All right. <laughs> Let's look up when the Wright brothers <laughs> lived. So the other thing I was going to say is today, this might be considered like very romantic, given that the whole Meghan Markle, Prince Harry thing, where it's like, oh my God, who's marrying an American? I mean, I guess there is no American royalty, but... <laughs> We're just Kennedy's. really good at wrecking royalties. <laughs> <laughs> right? Even Prince Harry is abdicating now. The closest we have to royalty are the Kennedys. Or the Kardashians. <laughs> All right, so David abdicates, uh, kind of leaves it in... Um, well, I guess one thing to mention, too, is um, Bertie... He, he's been working with Lionel for a long time now, right? And his stammer is improving a lot, but it still comes back very bad when he talks to his father or his brother or is public speaking. Um, 
which kind of forms the some of the issues that come up next. Um, so it's not like no progress has been made over the, the 10 years or whatever between 1920-whatever and 1936. Um, but yeah, what, what happens next, Mike? War. Well, pretty much. Um, So there's this guy that people haven't really been paying attention to called Hitler, and he's been doing some stuff in in Europe. And uh, it's now time for Churchill to show up and start to kind of push the uh, the British Empire to get involved with this war. Um, The prime minister at the time, he quits because he feels like he didn't do enough to stop Hitler and war is now coming and it is now up to King George the Sixth Bertie to um, is this really the end of the movie? This movie went by fast so he's going to give a, a, a speech at the cusp of war after it's been declared to uh, I guess invigorate the British people right? Is there anything else that happened in this film? It's kind of like a devil's in the details kind of thing and we, we can loop back to some of those um, yeah. but yeah, that's, if we're going by the high notes, not a lot happens. This was, yeah, it was definitely, it was a shorter film. I don't think it was more than an hour and a half, was it? But it felt like it went by pretty quickly. It was two hours. It was two yeah, hours. Yeah, like wow. hour 49, I think. No, it was two hours. Like an hour 55. <laughs> hour 59. <laughs> it was two hours. <laughs> Um, I guess, you know, some other stuff like it, it, we find out that Lionel um, actually doesn't have a medical degree, which he really never told Bertie that he did. He was always it was kind of assumed that he did. And the reason why Lionel is a speech therapist is because after World War One, all the shell shock victims that came back to Australia, um, he found were able to become, I guess, not cured, but helped by a friendly person instead of a doctor who just kind of uh, put marbles in their mouths and made them gurgle water. So that's where he gets his his methods, and it, it actually turns out to help um, King George VI to give his address in a comfortable setting. And we find out, because this is a true story, that they continue to be friends for the rest of their lives. Which, incidentally, was not very much longer, but... Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was curious as to why they added the scene of uh, the prime minister resigning. I think that's we could all laugh at Neville Chamberlain and be like, oh, yeah, that's I not think, work. <laughs> was that the point? It was like because uh, he very specifically says my replacement will be Neville Chamberlain. <clears throat> like, <laughs> I'm sure he'll do quite well. Like it's all up to you. <laughs> I, I think um, that was just like a continuity thing because he does talk to the old prime minister in a few scenes. And I think uh, yeah, it would okay. be a little I see what you're a, saying. a little jarring if they just had like a different prime minister. Like <laughs> the history yeah. illiterate among us would wonder if like the actor just died during production and they recast <laughs> him for like the last few scenes. So I, I thought that was just like a, a continuity uh, thing. Gotcha. Now that I think about it, Churchill was kind of shoved in there too, just to be like, don't be a pussy and then move on. Like he didn't really have much to give either other than to say he also can't talk. Yeah. He just kind of had a couple of quips. And this is, you know, you're making fun of people who don't understand the history, but this film actually made me understand how little of British history and how the monarchy and how their government actually functions. I didn't know Churchill was who he was. I thought he was actually like the prime minister during world war two. He was. 
He he. No, I'm sorry. I, w- I thought he was the prime minister before World War Two. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Mike's here. Like, so you tell me the British have kings. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I do want to hop back uh, to a scene you were describing because this is like really a movie where if you just go by the bullet points of what happens, it's it's not much, right? Like, it's not. Game of Thrones, there's no convoluted plot and backstabbing. A guy gives a series of speeches and his life happens along the way, right? It's not not like a engrossing plot. Yeah, um, that's true. Everything interesting happens off screen, but it's the, the character interactions. Like the, the entire movie is driven off of the dynamic between Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush. And the scene you're talking about, so this is after... Uh, David abdicates and mm-hmm. Colin Firth uh, or Bertie is going to be coronated. He has to go through the coronation ceremony and say four whole lines, uh, but it will be televised or broadcast over the radio. So he has to get it right. So they go into rehearse and um, they get the entire place cleared out. And uh, at one point, Bertie reveals to Lionel that he background checks have been done. He knows he's not a doctor. He knows he has no credentials, nearly fires him on the spot. But I thought this captured a lot of the character well and that just the sheer audacity of Lionel is carrying him through everything where Bertie turns around and turns back and he's sitting on King Edward's chair. Yeah. <laughs> As some random... People just scratch their it. names into it and shit. Oh, I know. There's like all this graffiti on the back of it. I was like, holy shit. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. And this is the chair where the uh, the king sits when he's uh, coronated. So it's it's like immensely disrespectful. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really I like felt the... like. Go ahead, Mike. No, oh, I've talked enough. You go ahead, June. No, I so, insist you go ahead. Somebody go ahead. All right, oh, I'll go you ahead. give us so much shit for doing this bit, June. <laughs> hey, it's because he hasn't done it before. Let him have it. You either die or see yourself become the villain. <laughs> you two go ahead. All right, thanks. So Lionel really was the, the star of this film. I, I agree with you 100%. This was a really boring film, but the interaction between Lionel and um, and Birdie were, were, were what I think made it um, on the top 250 list. I wouldn't describe it as boring. It's just simple. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not plot driven. So I will agree with you, Jack, that the um, the interactions between really all of the characters was just so charming. The kind of nonchalantness between Lionel and, and Birdie, like royalty and, and some random guy who was like clearly unqualified to be doing this. Um, and even between his... Uh, his wife when they're home um sorry i'm having a little bit of a speech impediment i know a guy when (laughs) lionel hasn't told his wife who his like patient is so she comes home early one day and he's like oh shit like we gotta hide (laughs) and um there's a brief reversal yeah and helena bottom carter's like in the other room just like making herself at home (laughs) And just nonchalantly is like, yeah, you know, your your Majesty's fine. Like, <laughs> um, and then even within, we mentioned briefly earlier, uh, like Winston Churchill 
just kind of being that like i don't know dad figure i guess <laughs> um my issue with this movie though was it's it maybe it's because they were trying to stick true to the actual story but the conflict was not like really awe-inspiring at all um, yeah because throughout the whole movie you, you you can tell it's following a pretty canned uh like plot devices so you're waiting for that conflict like oh there's gonna be some big falling out and in the scene that Jack described, I think that was supposed to be it, but it was just like... Eh. Yeah, it was resolved fairly quick. In the yeah. same scene. The big falling out was... Well, there was three falling outs, but Birdie kept Birdie kept returning to Lionel. So the first one was the very first time they met, where Birdie left in a rage, and then he came back and apologized to Lionel. And then the second time was the one that Jack's talking about, where they almost had a falling out, but then he still uses Lionel for that one. And then the third time is when he's talking about no, sorry, the second time would have been the treason one, and then he comes back to Lionel, and then the third time that happens. So Birdie just has anger management issues. Yeah, I mean, in some senses, this almost feels like kind of an elevated Hallmark movie where, you know, like, it's it's definitely of high caliber, but it's also a little feel-good and sometimes a little... Uh, no, I wouldn't, call, I wouldn't call it trite, but it's it's definitely a little predictable. I find it kind of hard to sympathize with someone that's a royal because like their problems, you're like, oh, you still are one of the richest people on earth and have everyone cater to you. So, oh, your like, your I mean, nanny, your nanny beat you when you were a kid. Ooh, oh, I'm the Prince of York. Here. There's a lot of people who aren't royalty. They have their nannies beat them and they don't fucking get speech therapists and shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> no one calls it like it. I struggled with that a little bit. Okay. Maybe hey, real talk. One second. Do you think that nanny got beheaded? <laughs> First order of business is king. <laughs> I mean, you get you get caught like not feeding the future Duke of York, and I feel like there are consequences. Well, not even that. If she didn't have consequences, she just went King George who? Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> We're going to Baltimore. <laughs> Good morning, That's Baltimore. That's actually how I got a speech impediment. Is where he just saw his nanny get beheaded. He's like, "Payback's a bitch, ain't it?" <laughs> He's not Porky Pig. <laughs> no, no, that's that's my recasting. Porky Pig. Is <laughs> I think even the core conflict of the movie was not all that like jarring. Because there were no real scenes where, you know, he... Well, there were plenty of scenes where he's stuttering in public. But it seems like everyone's reaction is like, eh, he'll get it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and when he gets his speech, like, all of people in Britain would have been like, that still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's an about? average speech at best. Are we supposed to be happy that our leader yeah. average speeches? The big, the big, like... I guess payoff at the end of this film is like he did it. He got through his speech and everybody's super proud. He's concentrating on a fucking speech while they're going into war. They're going to World War II. Like flash two weeks er later and there's going to be a shell-shocked fucking London around his fucking castle. Yeah. But no, Bertie did a good speech. He he is just a figurehead. Speeches are his only responsibility. I feel like he's missing the war part though. That's why Churchill's there. Yeah. 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 Churchill's for. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I just I think I would have liked some scenes that 
kind of really show that the people were like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Or, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, there was, there was a well, bit of that at the start when he's giving a speech to the public, but mercifully, like, they cut away instead of making him complete the whole thing. Yeah. I, I will also add, though, that I enjoyed the scene where he's watching Hitler speak. <laughs> yeah. And, like, Hitler's giving, like, this very powerful speech and everything. And it's, like, the movie's way of saying, like, this is important. Speeches are important. And you're like, oh, okay. I thought it was saying, this is how you give a real speech. <laughs> this is how a real man gives a speech. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I, I totally agree. That was a very good juxtaposition. When he spits flying out of Hitler's mouth and he's just passionate and shit. And this guy's like... Yeah, and it kind of gives you it gives you a so what because you're like oh so what he stutters like doesn't yeah, matter that's not an important part of leading and then you see that like Hitler basically rallied an entire nation through talking and you go oh okay yeah. I, this may give, be important give some stakes to it yeah um so let's talk a minute unless there's anything else we want to cover but um yeah I want to I want to talk about the fact at the beginning of the film Lionel tells him. Well, the doctors tell him that he should smoke cigarettes to help with his speech impediment, and then oh, he yeah. dies from lung cancer. Yeah, like, like 20 in years 1953. Later. Yeah. Damn, I did not even pick that up. Well, yeah. Though it's not like you could say smoking cigarettes was an uncommon thing in the 40s. There could have been a lot of mold Fair. in the palace. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone check the basement for radon? This is, this is also sponsored by Joe Camel. <laughs> Mold will kill you before cigarettes. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, just to talk a little bit about how this movie did. So it wasn't quite the blockbuster that The Martian was last week, but this uh, movie brought in $424 million on a $15 million budget. So... Immensely successful. Kind of amusingly, this movie, I think, did this get an R rating for the scene where he says, you know, fuck, 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 fuck? <laughs> it, it might have. I didn't, I don't remember looking at the rating. Yeah, so there was um, a bunch of controversy because this film was, uh, yeah, so this was rated R for the scenes where he starts swearing, um, which is kind of silly given that that's the only thing even approximating you know inappropriateness in this movie um and so there was a big controversy because it you know at some points it was released uh with uh some of the profanities muted out um that kind of thing so all in all pretty goofy uh to censor that of all things so beyond that so box office very successful um, critical response immensely successful. So this did win Best Picture, and it was up against some pretty substantial movies, um, including uh, Black Swan, um, The Social Network, Inception, True Grit, Toy Story 3, um, 127 Hours as well. I think many of those are movies we're going to watch later. Mm-hmm. Also won Best Director, Best Actor, um, and kind of, um, as well as best original screenplay, um, and kind of, uh, was in contention for a number of other Academy Awards. So this won a lot up against some pretty tough competition, definitely well-regarded, um, and like a whole shit ton of other awards probably in England where they 
love kings. Um, Everyone got knighted. Yeah, so um, I guess now comes the time in the podcast that we all hold dear, that we treasure the part where we rank the movie among the movies we've seen. Um, I'll go first. So of the movies we've seen, I would put this one, you know, again, very good, but doesn't quite transcend into something beyond the other movies. I would put it spot number 10 for me. Uh, behind Short Term 12, ahead of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Mm. Not bad, not bad. Mike, where would you put this one? I'm going to put it on um, number 13, Red Buff Sin City, but underneath Ratatouille. Fair, fair. Interesting. It was a, it was a subpar movie. Subpar? You'll get your chance, Shane. You can talk about it. June, where do you put this one? Yeah, I seem to remember liking this movie a lot more a decade ago. <laughs> um, I think I will put it at uh, number seven, just above Ratatouille, but behind Rio Bravo. So just above the other one we thought we'd like a lot? Yeah. <laughs> Noticing a theme. And Shane, where do you put this one? Yeah, I'm going to be along with the pack here. It's a good movie, but I kind of had a weird way of watching this. I kept thinking, really? Like, greatest of all time? Like, I guess 250 is a lot of movies. But um, I would put it at number nine, just above Short Term 12 behind Ratatouille. Enjoyed it, but it's kind of a middle of the road for great movies. Would you say subpar? No, it'd be par. Apparently, we're treating (laughs) Ratatouille as par. (laughs) <laughs> uh, i guess it's subpar for me then um, yeah i mean i i think we do have another ratatouille on our hands i kind of came into this watch watched this expecting to like it more than i did which is saying something because i did like it i did enjoy this movie i do think it's a really good movie but i somehow expected it to be more yeah, I saw this. I saw this in theaters when it came out, and I, I like, I remember, you know, it instilling some emotion, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's heartwarming, but it's also, I don't know, like, the acting is really good, the the plot is good enough. Yeah, I don't know, like it. I I somehow remember this being unbelievably good and it was just pretty good you know what so i didn't see it when it came out this is the first time i've seen this film but i do remember back in 2010 that people gave it really good reviews so maybe that kind of swayed your opinion at the time i i watched it at the time and i would have given it a really good review yeah yeah it's not a bad movie it's just like i i feel like if you're going to be one of those greats it didn't spike emotion enough i don't know it's just Maybe that's why I think it's not very good. Is because I've been hyped up for ten years about this movie. <laughs> I would say, it. like, I would still give it a good review, but at the time, I wasn't climbing up a two hundred and fifty best movie ladder. True, yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, when you when you go head to head, a lot of these are just really good movies, and I, I do see that you like The Martian more than this movie, Mike. So maybe it is pretty bad. 
There was no explaining of how he was fixing his speech with salt shakers. <laughs> you just need new sticks. We need new salt shakers. Got him. All right, so <laughs> final verdict. Do you recommend watching this movie, Shane? Mm, this is one of the tougher ones because I, I know. You don't need it. It's not a. It's not a must. Interesting. Jim? Yeah, I, I do recommend it. Um, at the core, it's a good movie. It has a lot of good little jokes, interactions between characters, and like uh, I think Mike mentioned it earlier, it's just not a not a big undertaking. That the time kind of flies by. Mike? Yeah, but I meant that in a bad way. Oh, well, I mean it in a good way. <laughs> so I'm going to also say that I no, I didn't get anything out of this movie either. It was it was a uh, a thing I did, and I don't think I would ever do it again. <laughs> Add that to the list. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd say watch it. It's worth a watch. Um, it goes by quick. It's it's definitely enjoyable. Like I don't think this was an unpleasant or difficult movie to watch. Like I enjoyed watching it. Um, it's broadly inoffensive. You know, you can watch it with your family without it getting weird. Like, I could not watch Sin City with my mom, but I could watch this with my mom, right? Um, your kids might learn some new words, though. <laughs> like, bugger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd say, yeah, watch it. It's worth a watch. Uh, it's it's a good use of two hours. Yeah, well, with that said, um, thanks for joining us. That's been The King's Speech, watched and ranked. We'll see you next week where we will be watching, what is it, Blood Diamond? Oh, god damn it. Uh, I'm so excited if that's true. Wait. I do this every week. No, no, no. We're watching <laughs> The Incredibles next week. Blood oh. Diamond is after that. It's one of the few movies I own on iTunes, actually. Now joined <laughs> by The King's Speech because it was only a dollar more to buy than to rent. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this movie is $5, and I think it is worth $5. <laughs> that's well, what that's I'm our saying. next podcast where we add monetary value to each movie <laughs> alrighty okay well thanks for joining us we'll catch you next week for uh, I guess the second Pixar film of our list uh, The Incredibles so that should be a fun one I remember we were talking about how Ratatouille looked more modern with its animation than you know it deserved to be given its age We'll see if the same holds true for The Incredibles. Now, that has me worried because I objectively believe that The Incredibles is better than Ratatouille, and Ratatouille is number seven on my list. Well, yeah, it's far. So it better be above seven automatically. We'd hope so. Yeah, that's going to be tough. But, I mean, we've talked about the issues with staggering this movie where... (laughs) If if I were to go back and reorder this from scratch, knowing what I know about these movies. <laughs> the algorithm for this list is something even Stephen Hawking couldn't figure out. <laughs> yeah, Stephen Hawking known for his algorithms. Um, oh, okay. Cool. All right. See y'all next week. Bye. That's who I'd recast. <laughs> <laughs>